That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is Ramona Shelburne, and my dilemma is that I thoroughly enjoy the Amazon one-click ordering, but it is now a dangerous thing for me because it's like Christmas every day at 4 p.m. when the mail shows up, and I have to stop, Sarah. It's it's becoming a problem. Oh, man, this is timely, Ramona, because I am cobbling together pieces for my annual epic birthday costume party right now, and Amazon has every random thing I need. But unlike you, I'm not really that concerned about over-ordering or shopping on it too much. I try my best not to, like, scan and search around on Amazon looking for things I suddenly think I need. It's kind of like Target like that. You get yourself in big trouble. You got to go there with a plan and a goal in mind or else you're going to leave with, like, $500 worth of shit you don't need. I'm more apt to just go there when I, like, really need something and find it. But my problem with Amazon is I'm kind of troubled by, you know, reading about the effects places like that have on local shops and businesses and on retail stores. Because I love actually going to bricks and mortar stores and, you know, like places like paper stores where I can just wander around and find awesome little treats and gifts and stuff. And I always worry about those going away because we can get everything online right now. Um, but at the same time, what other place has stuffed ice cream cone toys and necklaces that look like candy and a purple wig and a 10-inch tall gummy bear? And I wonder how many of you now can guess the costume that I'm putting together. Anyway, back to your problem, Ramona. I would say every time you go to order something, unless it's necessary to have it overnight for a particular event or occasion, you should make yourself wait two days before buying it. And then if you still want it or think you need it two days later, then go ahead and click and buy it and enjoy it. But if by two days later you realize it was an impulse buy and you don't really need to have it, then abstain and maybe even think about stopping in at some nice mom and pop shop on your way home from work instead to counteract all of that Amazon shopping you're doing. The commission has spoken. This week's guest is Ramona Shelburne, ESPN senior writer, NBA insider. She could see her on the jump, Sports Center, around the horn. And she's back again after a great first visit. If you didn't hear that interview, it's back in August of 2017. I reposted it on my Twitter account so you can find it and hear the first time around. Uh, but this was another great visit from her. Uh, we talked about how having a child has made her appreciate life differently and made her job different. How she was literally pumping breast milk when Magic Johnson stepped down from the Lakers and had to like run across the street mid pumping. Uh, also how that moment sort of divided the Lakers team and the reporters covering it. Also, we really get into the making of the new five part Donald Sterling 30 for 30 podcast she's been working on. It's fantastic. And we talk about Shelly Sterling's brilliant plan to sell the team out from under Donald hear new tapes, shocking recordings and stuff. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a really great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. That's what she said. So happy to have Ramona Shelburne back on the podcast. In fact, I think midway through the last time she was on, I was like, we're going to need to do this again. There's just too much to talk about. There's so much I want to know. And last time we really got in a lot of process of how she creates relationships with people she's reporting on, the team she's working with. And that's going to come back into play today as she gets ready to unveil a massive 30 for 30 podcast on everything that went down with Donald Sterling, the now disgraced former owner of the Clippers. It is a fantastic listen. And I'm so interested in the behind the scenes of that. And we're going to get to that. 
And by the way, Ramona's driving because it's impossible to tie her down for 45 minutes without needing to get to somewhere or work on something else. So if there's any car noise, just accept that that's because she's she's always a, a gal on the move getting things done. Um, let's start yep. with the things that have changed since the last time you were on. Most notably, you have a child now. So congratulations on that. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could spend hours, but, it, you know, within reason. Tell us how much this has affected just the job you're doing and your work and everything else. Yeah, um, we could spend hours on that. But um, I would say the, the two things happen. Um, you have to get really good at making sure that there is always somebody watching your child, right? You can't just <laughs> that's like good basics. That good, but you can't just leave your baby alone. Right? Is wow, that's such a great tip. Right. Like you have to make sure that, like, you know, you can't just like wake up in the morning and be like, "Oh, I'll be home around like four or five, You know? Yeah, it'll be all right. No, like you really have to plan that out like every day. And I was like a person who would go through life without, like, you know, by its very nature, being a reporter is like sort of being eminently flexible like you have to be reachable all the time you have to be able to like somebody calls you and says are you in position to go on sports center at the top of the hour to talk about blah 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 and you have to be like yes yes i can be right and so you can't like necessarily be that way when you have a child who needs your constant attention and i feel like it has it has made me like way more organized and thoughtful about what I'm going to do every single day and how I'm going to do it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting answer, right? And then I guess the other thing, um, and this will be a positive or a much more positive thing. um, I think I didn't appreciate like little things in life as much. Like, you know, we're always so on the go and we're always so running around that like, you know, just the idea of like walking down the street as I take my son for a walk every night um, before bed and you're like oh look at the flowers Danny look at the tree and he like gets so stoked to see that tree and pull on its leaves and you're like this is so fun just like walking down the street going for a walk yeah right? like these are things that you probably took for granted before um, and now they're like something I look forward to every day well, yeah, it's like seeing those things through the eyes of someone who is not uh, used to them. Yeah. Or, it's kind of like I just went to Napa with a bunch of girls who had never been. And I was like, oh, you guys are really going to love drinking all day. <laughs> it's just like having a kid. It was so cool to show them what it's like to get in a limo and yeah. drink all day. Just okay, like so, having a kid. Absolutely. Exactly. So similar. <laughs> um, so one of the things you've posted about is, you know, balancing the things that are required of being a mom with your job. And one of those, of course, breastfeeding, you talked about it um, and how some people were just super helpful to you and some people maybe not so much. So maybe this is a good chance to shout out either, you know, team employees or anybody else who kind of makes that easier so that everybody else maybe pays attention and decides to make life easier on other moms. Yes. Let me tell you, like breastfeeding is a thing. Okay. That is like, it is, it like runs your life. It's like the first thing you do when you get up in the morning. It's like the last thing you do before you go to bed. You're constantly thinking about every every four to six hours, depending on how long you stretch it out. Like I need to pump. So I go to NBA games and you're like, you have to get there usually around, you know, four or five o'clock for a seven o'clock start. And then you're going to be there till at least 11 or 12. So like you can't just go the whole time without pumping. Um, and there's just like, you know, certain people who get it and they're generally the ones who have had kids or their wives have had kids. Um, and they're like really helpful and they'll offer you a private room or they'll like understand about that. But you know, like our job is not such that I can always say to like my producer, Hey, I need a, you know, I need a, (laughs) I need a 20 minute break. 
in the middle of the broadcast to go do that, you know? So I would say that it's, you know, it's really, it kind of, it always means like a lot to you when somebody is accommodating, like the Warriors have this like nursing pod right in their practice facility. And it was so nice because like I would do right before practice or like before a sports center hit, I could just go in there and pump and like they have all the supplies in there and it's like really nice. Like, oh, thank, thankfully I don't have to go out to my car right. and sit in there and like hope nobody sees me and I'm not flashing the world. as like, right. I mean, it's just like really nice when they provide, right? My friend came out to meet me for a Super Bowl party in San Francisco and needed to pump and this restaurant gave her their office very kindly, but she did it. She was just about done and she realizes that there's like cameras because it's a restaurant and restaurants have cameras everywhere. She's like, well, whatever. I guess it just made someone's night. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Totally. You kind of just do that. Like you kind of just, you get over yourself very quickly because it's, it's like not your, your body's like not really yours anymore it's like kind of just this like functional thing that is supposed to feed the child right (laughs) Right? so you just get over it you know and I think that people who get it and understand like you know I I think like um, even just from a work perspective there are certain producers who will totally get that like all I have to say is you know I just need to leave a little time before that you know in between when we do this and that to you know when we shoot to go pump or to go do something and they'll go oh yeah no problem and like they'll build that in and they'll they don't have to tell everyone why Ramona's taking 20 or 30 minutes Um, and then there's others who just like really don't get that and like I feel I would feel like kind of awkward or uncomfortable or whatever and you just kind of like you know get engorged and like wait till afterwards to do that to, to go pump or whatever and I don't know. I think the, you know, there's, there's just like a lot of folks who, um, it's, uh, it, there's just something about the, you know, when a, when a woman tells you that it's hard enough for us to bring it up. Cause we're like career women who are, don't, who don't like making excuses or who don't like asking for special treatment. Right. Um, and you just sometimes have to now, right? Like yeah. you just have to, when you're pregnant you or you're nursing and, yeah. um, you know, it's like, I remember, um, even just the logistics of it, right? Like, how am I going to get the breast milk home when I'm on the road? Do I ship it home? Do I carry it? And then that's a whole thing with TSA. Oh my goodness. And like, there's some TSA agents who totally get it and know what they're doing. And there's others who like, look at the milk, like you're just like some, it's just, you're an alien. Like, what are you trying (laughs) to bring on here? And they want to open every bag and you're like, come on, man just use the swab like everywhere else is cool you don't need to let you know this is has to have been something that you've seen before you know there are a lot of women who do this right like and I I don't know I mean I you know I've had really good experiences with it really bad and anybody who makes your life a little bit easier or at least just understands that this is a this is an important thing is like I can't tell you how far that goes like there was there was like one time I almost like cried because this TSA agent was like so nice like my little um the ice packs that I had in my cooler were a little too soft and they're supposed to be frozen and he's like these aren't exactly frozen and I was like I know the hotel didn't the refrigerator wasn't cold enough and they got a little you know and he's like it's okay don't worry oh yeah (laughs) those people are saviors you you. need them yeah thank you so much so yeah. you're dealing with Thank like you. a first time being a mom, right? And so you're dealing with all these things you haven't done before yeah. and trying to figure out how to balance what was a job that was already very demanding with now having a kid too. And right around this time, yeah. as you're just getting used to all this, 
the Magic Johnson implosion happens where he quits on the Lakers midway oh through. No one is expecting it. Yeah. And you obviously have some very deep ties to that team. Your reporting comes from, you know, very deep inside the team. Tell me about that moment and, and also tell me about how it divides people Ooh. based on whether their source is Genie or their source is Magic or their closest person is, you know, Rob Palenka. Talk about that whole dynamic. Yeah. Well, I don't think Rob is anyone's closest person, so that's why he gets. <laughs> that's probably why he gets the worst coverage, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's seems so. Um, it's funny that we have bring this conversation up after the breastfeeding conversation because I actually was pumping in a hotel room across the street when I started seeing the tweets that Magic was stepping down. <laughs> it was like literally in Rachel Ulrich, who is my editor at the magazine. I was in her room and I was just going to go over to the game a little bit late because it was like the last game and I was probably going to write something about the Lakers season and, you know, I didn't really need pregame. So I was like, I'll just pump right before the game and then I'll walk over. And all of a sudden I start, I think I saw Dave McMenamin's tweet and it was like, Magic Johnson just announced that he's stepping down as president of the Lakers effective immediately. And I was like, did Dave get hacked? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, what? like, holy shit. Um, but, like, I literally was, like, had to take the breast pumps off and run across the street. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Literally, like, I didn't get to finish that session um, <laughs> because it was so, like, get across the street right now. He's having this press conference. You must go. And... I thought it was, like, fake, but, like, I got over there in probably 10 minutes. I was just at that hotel across the street from Staples, um, and it, he was still going, and he just kept going in that press conference for, like, 30, 40 minutes. I mean, it just lasted forever. Um, I even got to ask questions, and it was, like, surreal. Like, I mean, I, I think people knew that he was under a lot of pressure and that that was hard on him and all that, but... Um, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? You're going to step down? Like, that's... I, I, I'll tell you what my real first thought was. Like, that's weak, dude. Like, it got a little hot in the kitchen, and, you got a, and, you're, and you're just like, I'm out? You know? Like, you got some... You got a bunch of pressure on you and criticism, and, like, you just don't feel like taking it? I, I mean, right. I, I don't know. That, that just... It just... In that moment, it felt very, like, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. And I knew there had to be more to it. I mean, I, you know, the other thought I had, at first I thought it was weak, and then the other thought I had was, let me immediately call two or three people in the world who I think are closest to magic and say, see if there's, make sure there's not some health reason why this is happening, right? Because when you're dealing with magic, you always have to remember that he is HIV positive and um, you know, this, when this happened the last time, this shocking kind of press conference, there was a, there was a real reason for it health wise. So my first thought was, you know, come on, man. And then I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Let me make sure there's not something else going on. Yeah. And I texted, um, I mean, I'll just, you know, I texted his agent. I texted Jeannie bus. I texted, um, you know, another friend of his who I don't think people know their name, that person's name. So I'll keep that quiet. But um, none of them knew he was going to do it. Like, mm. literally, they were just as shocked as we were. They had no idea. He did not tell them. And that night, I started getting a call from there was two or three people who knew him in a different way, um, who were friends of his, but not in the same circle as um, his agent and Jeannie and all these people um, on the Lakers side. Um, 
And those friends did have an idea that he was in this place. Those friends did know that he was really unhappy and that he was going to step down or he was thinking about it. And that's how we first started to get clued in that there was an issue with Rob Polinka because he had, he had vented to those friends and that's how we started hearing it. But I remember talking to Stephen A in the hallways because we both were like, what the hell is going on? Right. And, and I said to Stephen, are you hearing the same thing I'm hearing? Like about this, there's something happened with Rob, like, um, and he goes, yeah. And he got on the phone, I think that night and he talked about it the next day on first take, he got on the phone with Jeannie and he got on the phone. I think Rob Polinka was on speakerphone in the room saying like, what happened? You know, the, the, the word was like, he wanted to fire Rob and Jeannie wouldn't let him. And you know, that, that telephone game of how the story goes out and they swore that they didn't think there was a problem with Rob Polinka and magic. And they were basing that on the fact that magic had never complained to them about any kind of problem with Rob. So in other words, like they felt confident in telling Stephen A at that night when they put him on speaker that there was no issue with Rob because Magic literally never raised any issues with Rob. And then right. later on, they went to dinner. You remember that photo of Magic and Jeannie and, and uh, Lon Rosen, his agent? I, I forget who else. Was at the, I think Linda Rambis was at the dinner, too. And they all they were talking about was just like, you know, like everything's good. You know, there was that happy photo after everything. And at that dinner, they didn't, they questioned him. They said, hey, so, so what, what's going on? What, 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 did anything really happen with Rob? Because you put out those cryptic tweets. Remember the, the tweet that said, um, you know, the truth will come out somewhere. And they questioned him very, you know, over and over saying like, what do you mean by this? Why we keep hearing this Rob stuff? Like, and he wouldn't say it to their face. He, he just said, you know, no, I just, I just didn't like the way things were going. I wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't feeling like magic. And so he was denying it to them. And then when we would question them, they would deny it to us. Right. And then of course we all know what happens. He goes on first take and just (laughs) destroys the guy. What is it like for you? So obviously there's all this going around and, um, when you're covering a team and you're one of several, there are the Lakers beat is Mm -hmm. one that has a couple different, you know, people focusing on it and, and doing work on it. Yeah. What is it like when something like that hits the team that you're covering? And so it starts with obviously you're, you know, you stop pumping and you run across the street, but then this yeah. billows out multiple weeks in advance as he does interviews. Um, oh, yeah. Magic does and, and says, you know, just Rob. That's the only one I had a problem with. And we hear from Jeannie and we hear from everybody else. Is there a unification amongst those covering the team in terms of what you're putting out there? Do people on the, on the ESPN team that have different sources want to report different things? Can you take us behind the scenes on how you kind of have a united yeah, front or so, don't on that? So um, I think myself and Stephen A. probably have the highest level sources on that. Dave McMenamin has really good sources, but not but they're different sources, right? So on that, on this particular story, I think it was like me and Stephen A. were doing a lot of talking to each other. Um, and Dave was talking to more players. Like, obviously, Dave is pretty close with LeBron and other players on the team, um, other people within the organization. So he has, because he's the beat writer and he's there every single day. And he has a lot of, he has a lot of, like, people on the ground. So we all three were talking. And uh, I think Stephen A. and I had pretty similar information and he I, I definitely know that that night he he got on the phone with them um and he I, you know Stephen A's pretty people don't give him a lot of credit but 
um, he really does have pretty strong sources. Um, and he will, he will talk about those things on air too. Uh, he doesn't hide it. And I, I like that night we all, we were all getting those same denials. And so that I, I remember I got a call from Christina Daglas, who's my NBA editor. And she was like, can you write tonight? Like, and I was like, yes, I can. I don't know what I'm going to write yet, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, hang on. Um, and so I think, you know, by the end of that night, I had spoken to everyone who needed to be spoken to, right? Like it just go down the roster of all the top brass and all the, all the top people in the organization and, and even those close to them. So it was mostly like me just working the phones and seeing what the hell happened because they didn't have time to get together and present some sort of like united front. They were just as blindsided as the world was when Magic did this. So like if you talk to people in the first few hours before they have time to talk to each other, you get a pretty good sense of what actually happened and whether things are real because they haven't had time to meet with the crisis PR guy and they haven't had time to get in a room together and compare notes. I mean, I, you know, two or three of the people I called that night, like in, in the very immediate aftermath of this were like in tears. Like they were really upset and really yeah, heartbroken about it. And that was, I, I, I think that was the most genuine reaction you're going to get. And the stories people tell you afterwards are usually not as genuine. That's after they've had time to think about it and process it and compare notes. Back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain in just a minute. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash said. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's what she said. So you're dealing with all this and you're reacting to this team that's uh, kind of imploding in front of you in a lot of ways, while also understanding that there's a really good shot that they could be getting Anthony Davis and turning things around pretty quickly while working on this story about the other team in town, the Clippers. So what's the genesis behind this 30 for 30 podcast about Donald Sterling? When did you start working on it and how long did it take? Yeah, so um, I I covered this you know, five years ago when this was all going down. And it, you know how you like sometimes when you're covering a story and you're like, this is a movie. Like you could not make up characters this strange and this compelling and the drama and how it plays out um, where not just the tapes and everything, but like Shelly Sterling after 60 years of marriage where you just think she's this like dutiful wife who like goes along with this awful, you know, ugly racist guy, you know, you just think that she, she, she must be sort of guilty by association. I mean, this moment where she sells the team out from under him by getting him declared mentally incapacitated. I mean, I'll just never forget where I was when I, it was me and Darren Ravel were reporting on the story and like, I got the third source confirming it and I still just couldn't believe it. I, I called David Kraft, the head of the news desk and I'm like, Kraft, I, I mean, I, we have three sources. This is what happened. This is how she's selling the team. Holy shit. Like, 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm confident I'm correct, but I still can't believe this is what she just did. Right. And like this little old lady, I mean, she's like this little grandmotherly old lady with, she walks around with a Chanel bag, you know, I mean, like, oh, whoo, that was cold blooded. Okay. And for her to do that. And then they have this courtroom drama and, um, you know, they, they, he takes her to court and calls her a pig and open court. I mean, it was like, I always felt like I was going to do something bigger, right? I was, and, and at the time, I actually, I thought it was a movie. I thought it was a scripted series. And so I just maintained the relationship with a lot of people in the case, um, the lawyers in the case, Shelly Sterling, and I would um, talk often. Um, I don't want to say like all the time and maybe a few times a year, but like you, you, you keep those relationships going because you kind of know that there's just something bigger here that we still, even though I think a lot of the league had closure on Sterling and doesn't really want to talk about it because it's like an ugly time in their careers, right? In the world, it's not something like people want to like relive. Um, it's still one of the strangest things that I think has ever happened in the league and um, with a set of characters that are so crazy. And, and so I just, I had started pitching this to Libby Geist, who's head of ESPN Films, and then Adam Newhouse, who's our head of development. I mean, I want to say like a year afterwards. I was like, we got to do something bigger with this. This is so much better. This is so good. And um, Adam told me, um, Adam told me he agreed. He's like, but we didn't know what. And so I just said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a treatment. I'm going to, I don't know what it's going to be for. I don't, you know, I'm just going to go in and write it up as a treatment. I'm going to go in and write up a story of what I think it could be and we'll just keep working on it and you know I I, uh, I I did a treatment we worked on that to get you know Adam and I talked and we worked on that and, um, Libby was really interested and I, I kind of always saw it as a scripted series because a lot of the characters I, mean, I just thought they popped right like who would you want to cast as Shelly in the movie yeah. who would you want to cast as Doc Rivers right like it's just a it just lends itself so, plus I had just seen People versus OJ and on FX and I thought that was awesome I lived through that in LA and I was like, it just felt the same to me. Um, and stay tuned. We might, we might have something like that in the future. Yeah, um, I can but, absolutely uh, see that. And I think, you right? know, what you said about people, people wanting to move on from it, it absolutely makes sense. It was such a black mark on the yeah. league. But by trying to sort of brush it aside and only handle it in the moment instead of using hindsight and time to reflect on it yeah. in ways that sort of open it up a little and explain it more, you miss out on an opportunity to point to how it's still going on and to show people totally. the signs and to show people to get ahead of the things before they get as disastrous as this. Because he certainly is not alone, right? This isn't a Donald Sterling problem. It's yeah. a problem with a lot of people in our country. And to sort of brush it under the rug is to say, well, fixed it. There's no one else in the NBA that's at all racist or has any issues with, you know, and I think that's why this is such a great listen is because it tells the story from so many different perspectives and his history, the Clippers history, everything else. So that by the time you get to this mm -hmm. breaking point and this moment, you understand how you got there instead of just saying this is a bad dude. Let's get rid of him and everything will be yeah. fixed. You know, as a writer and a, and when you're, when you're thinking like, what's the North Star? What's the through line? You know, we use that term a lot as writers. What's the through line um, that connects everything together? 
to me, the through line was Donald Sterling had been the same guy since he bought the Clippers. Okay, he for 30 years he'd been this guy, and it was obvious to everyone who met him, who worked for him, who played for him, who dealt with him in the league. The league tried to get rid of him 30 years ago, right? They tried. They actually had a vote to kick him out of the league, and then he said he was sorry and paid a fine, and they assigned Alan Rothenberg to babysit him and make sure he did right. But you know, he actually paid the players, right? Like they just you know clean up his act a little bit. And so why did it take this tape, this scandal, this moment in time to be the one that brings him down? And I think that's the through line of the whole story is like, why this tape? Why this scandal? And I, what it has is it, you know, all of the ways that Donald had held power over different groups of people in his life finally were able to turn on their heads. So he had held power over women. It held power over his mistresses because there was a financial incentive for them, of course, but also because anybody who tried to sue him or anybody who tried to challenge him either legally or in the court of public opinion just didn't have the leverage to win. Donald would always, you know, he didn't care if you sued him. He had, he had lawyers on retainer. He loved getting sued. He loved doing depositions. Like he's a, that's what, the, that was his background. He loved the fight. And so, you know, the coaches, he would, you know, fire a coach and not pay him. And most people would just settle for less than what he owed them because, you know, they'd settle before they starved, right? Because while you're while he's got you tied up in litigation for years and years and years, you're not getting paid and you're not getting what you're owed. And so most of the time he used that leverage over people um, and won and got away with it. And with his players, I mean, I, I, there's this one scene in the story um, in the podcast where there's a video of Blake Griffin at one of Donald's white parties and you know, Donald liked to show Blake off as like one of his prized racehorses. And it was just like absolutely cringeworthy. Like you, you watch this video and you're, and you could see if you, we actually do like a, a slowdown on Blake's face as you watch this. And he's like, he's introducing him to the crowd at his white party that like literally none of the players want to go to, but feel like they have to. And Blake is like, Oh God, so embarrassing. Right. And he goes, um, he goes up to the stage and he does it. And, I, and, he, and Blake says to me, he goes, it was like cringeworthy. And I go, well, who was going to tell Donald Sterling it's cringeworthy? And Blake goes, no one. I mean, he's our owner. He's the guy who writes the checks. He's our boss. And that's the power he had over players. I mean, it wasn't just a rookie. It was Chris Paul was on those teams and he would embarrass him at events. And uh, Chauncey Billups, Grant Hill. I mean, these are like statesmen in this, in the NBA and they couldn't say anything to him because he's the boss and he's the guy who signs their checks and I, and they didn't have the power or the leverage. And so that's why when you get to this moment in time where, and I really think you got to give LeBron James a lot of credit because he set the tone for the league wide reaction to those tapes. The very morning that the tapes come out, LeBron James says there's no place for Donald Sterling in this league. That is tantamount to revolution, to a call for a revolution. And once LeBron said it, everybody else could say it. And even though they were all feeling it, but saying it publicly is another story. And this is where you, I think you got to give Adam Silver a lot of credit. He recognized, I think he wanted to do this anyway, but he had owners, you know, back channeling saying like, you can't take away somebody's private property for something their mistress tapes um, that they never thought would be public. You know, that's a dangerous, slippery slope. And Adam Silver was like, I don't care. You know, I mean, it's not like the NBA Constitution has banned for life as part of his powers, but it did give him a broad power to do what's in the best interest of the game. And he just said, I'm doing it. <laughs> and if you don't like it, too bad. You be the one to say that that's too far. Yeah, and you create some great drama in the podcast about 
the ways that it could have gone and the behind the scenes of Ooh. what the players were considering doing, what Doc Rivers was considering doing, what would have happened if Adam Silver hadn't come out with such a strong statement, even in, in terms of people gathering outside neighboring courthouses and areas expecting to react to what might be a mild punishment and instead breathing this sigh of relief when Adam Silver took such a hard stance. Um, it's, it's a fascinating podcast, um, but there's also funny details. The fact that Shelly really cared, uh, Shelly Sterling really cared about whether she ran into Vistaviano at Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom, <laughs> and the fact that they say fabulous too much, and uh, you know, that his white party had like hot dogs and like tiny glasses where you could barely get any wine because he's such a cheapskate. There are all these interesting facts behind the scenes that sort of build the characters that we know on the periphery, but now know better from listening. I wonder, like, what you consider one of the more surprising things you've learned by doing the reporting on this that you didn't know the first time you ran through all of this in the moment. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that really rang out to me was how much this, how many times this has happened exactly the same way, but just never turned into a scandal like this. You know, I remember, so one, my, my lead producer on this was Julia Lowry Henderson. She did the Bikram podcast and she's just like an incredible producer. Um, I like I learned so much about reporting even. I mean, I thought I was a good reporter. Ooh, no. It's just a whole another level when you get to those documentary reporters and producers, right? Um and so she 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 was living um out of the country and she flew in and we would work together for a couple weeks at a time. So I would like kind of duck out of the NBA season for a couple weeks in and around All-Star and then we would go ride around Beverly Hills together tracking down last known addresses of Vista Viano and her associates, right? And one of the things that um that Julia found when she was pouring through some of the depositions and legal research that you dig up and you do something like this is Donald had several mistresses that actually ended up in litigation that sim- very similar to what happens with Vistiviano part that, you know, when you listen to the pod, it becomes obvious like Shelly Sterling sues Vistiviano trying to get all the gifts that her husband has given her back and V is cornered. I mean, she has to either give the gifts back or go to court. She doesn't want to do either. She wants to keep the gifts and she doesn't want to go to court. And so the tapes that she had been making of Donald go from, you know, just tapes that she has to blackmail. And, you know, she sends it to the Clippers 10 days early and says, like, you know, let the games begin and they have 10 days to do something about it and they don't do anything about it. Um, and then those tapes, you know, leak to TMZ. And I've, you know, I, I kind of know... Um, how they got to TMZ. I have a, I have a general sense of it. Um, it wasn't V directly. Um, but to say that she had nothing to do with it would be, um, I would say that it's inaccurate as well. Um, she certainly had something to do with it, but the idea that there were other mistresses who, who also had very similar litigation. One of them was Alexander Castro. And she, we talk about her in the, in the pod, um, because her depositions were public. A lot of the other ones, they, they signed NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and you don't have those, um, depositions or you don't have, they're not allowed to tell us exactly what happened because they've signed those non-disclosures. But in Castro's depositions and in the Castro case, it's almost exactly the same thing where, you know, Shelly ends up having to sue her and then they settle, but, the deposition that she gave where she describes her relationship with Donald Sterling is so graphic and lewd. And then his deposition of, you know, how he tries to humiliate her in front of her lawyer and whoever else was in the room when he was giving this deposition. Yeah. That was my least favorite part of the pod. And I had to quoting him talking about having his feet licked. 
and yeah. getting sucked on. I was like, oh, God, I yeah. just pictured it for I was a like, second. you guys, I really have to read this? I really have to read this? <laughs> oh, I was Ooh, definitely boy. thinking about you. And I was like, to, okay, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just have an out-of-body experience <laughs> and let me just channel my most sinister your, your inner sterling. sterling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like you have to be a voiceover actress, too. It's not like... You have to, like, get out of yourself when you're reading certain parts like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, there really well, wasn't so, a way around it, though. That was really fascinating was the pattern and how you could see that at any number of different times, there could have been blow-ups yes. with the mistresses or the housing issues that he had where he appeared yeah. to be, you know, using racist housing practices in the buildings that he owned. All these things that could have caught up to him. And it wasn't until this weird character with the different visors and the cutesy yeah. little, you know, right-hand arm man, silly rabbit woman decides to record him. And, and according yeah. to what she said, he knew it. And she said she was recording him to kind of like keep him true to what he would say to her. She claimed, oh, you'd forget what you told me. I'm recording you so you know. Now yeah. she's got all these tapes. And because of her, this man who everybody has known has had this like plantation mentality, yep. been a terrible owner that they couldn't get rid of, finally gets his comeuppance. So first of all, how did you get um, access and permission to talk to all these people? You obviously didn't talk to V. Stiviano. That's the one thing that I, I mean, you don't know how many Instagram rabbit holes I have been down. Trying silly to get rabbit holes or her yeah i mean like you know you, you you know how you go down the instagram thing where okay anybody she's ever tagged in a photo i would hit with like direct messages wow. who is that person and i found three or four people who actually like were still friends of hers and they said that we'll talk to her and see if she'll talk to you her lawyer asked her a million times and, and, I, and what's interesting with v is she for somebody who really wanted desperately to be famous she really doesn't anymore um she adopted two kids she wants to have kind of a and she wants to protect them from the spotlight. I think she doesn't want to be known for that anymore. I think she has, she has a very different life now. And it's it's like, that's why I want to talk to her, right? And of course. Um, but I, you, you, maybe maybe she'll reemerge. She, she, every once in a while, she'll be on Instagram and she'll pop up with an Instagram live. And she's just like driving around Los Angeles. And I've like found myself like trying to figure out where is she. I'm going to go see where she is. <laughs> find. You obviously talked to a whole bunch of people. First yeah. of all, how do you get access and, and who fought you the most? And then how do you trust your narrators? You know, the this is a very sticky topic. Yeah. How do you know who might be self-serving or who's giving you the, the right, the right re recounting of everything? Um, yeah. You know, I think it helped also that I was pretty involved in the story to begin with. Right. So a lot of the people that you talked to, a lot of the lawyers, the friends, the whatever, you know, I knew them and it was just five years ago. So it's not like, and, and I, and I occasionally check in, right. It wasn't like I hadn't talked to everyone in five years, maybe like I'm not saying I talk to them all the time, but like once or twice a year, I might send a text or we'd cross paths or something like, so Donald's lawyer or Shelly's lawyers. Um, Shelly's got a couple of friends that I've stayed in touch with. Um, you know, I, I, there was a part at the time, you know, the Shelly Sterling story five years ago was this like older lady who just got her vengeance and it was a cool story. And I was interested in that. And then I got very interested in the real housewives of Beverly Hills, right? Like the, she's got this social set that she plays poker with and they go to charity events together and they're all like, um, somebody's wife, right? So like Larry King's wife is one of their friends and, um, Aaron Spelling's wife is one of their friends and, and, you know, like they're known by who their husband is, but these ladies are actually really something. I mean, they're, they're a lot of, a lot of them are the power behind the powerful men in, in Hollywood and they're all friends and they all talk to each other and compare notes. And so I sort of just 
was interested in that circle. And so I would kind of go and go do lunches at Spago with them or go to charity events over the last few years. Mm, I'm not saying gig. all the time, you know? Yeah, but it was <laughs> it was just like I was like, I was just interested. I'm like, it's a totally different world that I'm in, right? And they were nice. They were, they're, they're all very presentable and nice, right? So, you know, it's been like a five-year process. And, it, and that's, what, that's how you get access is that you never really let it go, Right. You never, you always stay in touch with people because once the big buzzy story is over, most people just like never call them, you know, most, and, and I think I always knew I wanted to do more with this and I was always still interested. Um, and you know, Shelly's actually like, I've gotten to know her really well. I mean, we had so many conversations, you know, in addition to this interview, um, so many conversations over the years and like, you know, you're asking a woman about her husband's marital affairs. Like that's a tough thing to bring up, Right. But she would always answer it. I mean, I, I like the, I don't want to give away all the good stuff, but like she'll, she'll answer pretty, pretty straightforwardly. And one of her main things that she keeps saying all the time is like, I'm pretty good at making myself happy. You know, I'm pretty good at, at, at mm. making myself happy and, and learning how to exist within that. And I, I think that's her way of saying, and, and, and this is just, you know, knowing the character the way I do now, um, we all make compromises in our relationships in our lives. Right. And you sort of have to tolerate, you're not going to have like a perfect relationship. Nobody is right. There's going to be things that you have, um, that happen with your, um, your husband or your wife or whoever it is that you have to decide if you're okay with. Right. Um, that are, that, you know, you either disagree with or you just wish was different or whatever it is. That's, that's like kind of the nature of marriage. Right. And, there's certain things I don't think I could live with. I couldn't live with somebody philandering like that. I couldn't live with somebody who was, I, I feel, was like morally unethical or whatever it was. But what happens is, is when you make one compromise, it becomes easier to make more compromises. It becomes easier to um, make the same compromises over and over and over again. And I think that early on in their marriage, like he, you know, this obviously is a pattern. It's been going on for a long time. She found a way to exist within the marriage where she just didn't, either deal with his philandering and, and the way he would treat other mistresses and women, or she found a way to excuse it and just have her own separate life with him and her own separate relationship with him. And I think a lot of it is just that she has a lot of really close girlfriends. She's an independent woman herself. She travels all the time and she doesn't need to take him with her. And, uh, you know, she found a way to make herself happy despite this kind of a marriage and, and, you know, she's often said to me, like, you know, you know, men, they're just, they're just like that. They just need attention. And I feel sorry for him that he thinks that's real attention. And he thinks, you know, I mean, she, she has her own explanations for it. It wouldn't be my choices, but I, I think the way you get to a place like that in life is that it's been going on for a long time. And, and once you've made that compromise once or twice, you know, the, the wall's been busted down and, and you have a choice whether you Yeah, but what was fascinating, you know, one of the discoveries that you made is, this woman, you know, basically got her husband's team taken away due to being mentally unfit. She had doctors declare him mentally unfit. Yeah. They made all this money off the sale. It made yeah. it a little bit cleaner, in fact, than had that not been how that this was decided. It allowed yeah. Steve Ballmer to come in and make a big offer. Yeah. But that five years down the road, you connect with Shelley Sterling again, and they're together. They're married yeah. and happy. And as you said, that the, they were trading yeah. awful things about each other in court. And the expectation yeah. for the public was this woman got caught up in a marriage with a bad man. She's going to find her way out. The league is going to be better without him. But they're back together now. Yeah. And she, you know, she she's not even trying to 
you know, five years ago she would condemn his behavior and now she's not. Now it's the same story of like, he didn't know what he was, or she was drugging him or she was, you know, she set him up. She, this, you know, I mean, it's like, whoa, what happened here? And I think that's what happens. Like, you know, I, I use the phrase, um, with my producer all the time, Julie and I would always talk about this. I was like, look, it, it's, it's not rational. Like why they're back together. I, you know, it's irrational. And so she's not rationalizing his behavior. She's irrationalizing his behavior. She's just getting herself back into that place that she was before all this happened. And what I don't think people understand about how this all came about. And when you listen to the pod, you will like she, she has this big psychic break from him right before the tapes and, and V caused like incredible consternation and drama in their marriage because, um, you know, their son died and, their son died of an overdose and Donald just wasn't there. Like they, he, he, you know, Donald wasn't there to shortly after arguing with him. Right. It was, it was January 1st and they had just gotten in a big argument after he was arguing with V Stiviano on the phone on Christmas day dinner, instead of hanging with his family. And that was the sort of last interaction that Donald had with his son before the overdose. That's, that's a whole lot to take shortly before all the rest of this goes down. That's more than enough for her to have to deal with. Yeah. And so she, so she's grieving with her girlfriend, with the women I tell you about in the story, like the, you know, the, the, the wives of, you know, famous men and the wives of rich men and, and her girlfriends are there for her, but Donald is off with V and he's getting closer and closer with V, even as they should be mourning their son and he should be comforting his wife. And it's like, this is when she really has this big psychic break and kicks him out. And that's why when the tapes drop, they actually are separated. They actually are close to divorce. Like, and this has happened. Those that have known them for years and years and years, they know that this has happened many times over the years that they get like this and then they find their way back together. And I think you can read it one of two ways. One, there's a very strange personal dynamic between them, whether it's a, it's a, it's a codependency, obviously. Um, but two, it's, it's a business decision. They're, they're business partners and they're one of the largest residential landlords in LA County. I don't think, I don't know if they still are, but they were at one point. They have a billion dollar business empire and like they're partners in that. Like he was the, he was the deal guy. He was the real estate baron, but she was the one who would like fix up the buildings and she was very involved in managing the buildings day to day. And so I I think they were more partners than anything. And the, and the relationship is just part of it. And it's hard to figure out where one thing stops and the other thing begins. And I think they go back and forth and it's just messy and interesting and weird and, and I think that's that's why it was always the story. Like, I remember Dan Lebetard at the time said, you know, I want to see the 30 for 30 on their marriage one day. And I was like, oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think, what yeah. we made. You know, so some of the dynamics between them and their history and the name change and all of that is really fascinating. I also found fascinating finally finding out the sort of reason behind the animosity for Magic Johnson. There was never really understanding yeah. for why. And I want to save that for people to hear on the pod because it kind yeah. of slowly develops and I don't want to give it away. But I never really understood yeah. why in his attempt to clean up his image in, in his interview with Anderson Cooper, he went after Magic Johnson like that. And yeah. that really sunk him even further. But you tell that story, which is fascinating, too. Um, you know, we all heard some of the tapes, but you found other tapes and and you even said that still Shelley Sterling sometimes drives around and listens to them. So yeah. that kind of fascinates me. What is she are V Stiviano and Donald at all in contact anymore? Like what is she trying to gain from continuing to to, to kind of replicate or like relive this? Yeah. So 
Um, in the case where Shelly sues V to try to get the gifts that Donald had given her back. So this is like a, a Ferrari, a Bentley, a $1.8 million duplex. Like, you know, she's trying to get these things back. It's more on principle. I mean, like, these are billionaires. They don't need the $1.8 million duplex in Beverly Hills adjacent, okay? It's not even Beverly Hills. It's, it's not like a valuable property to them. Um, although, a fun little detail that's not in the pod. Shelly wins that case against V. Stiviano, and she gets the duplex back. And right, and then she gave it to her longtime housekeeper. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> sort of, you know, it's kind of a fun little detail. Yeah. Um, but uh, Shelly kind of won her own case against V. Stiviano because the big legal case at hand, and I, I think her, I can't, still can't believe she won this because I, I didn't know that this was a thing. Okay. Um, you know, it's she claimed that all this is community property that Donald doesn't have the right to give V all these things without her permission, and. You know, I would say, well, you know, husbands and wives can do whatever they want. It's, you know, <laughs> like, you, it, I didn't think she was going to win when it came out. Let's put it that way. But she found on these tapes, so all these tapes that V had been making, they're not just like one or two tapes. There's like hundreds of tapes. Um, she was constantly recording him. And Shelly listened to all of them because she was always driving into town, so Malibu to Beverly Hills, which is, you know, 30, 40 minute drive, sometimes up to an hour, depending on traffic. She would just listen to these tapes looking for the smoking gun where... Donald and V would be conspiring to hide the property from Shelley. And she found several instances where they were conspiring to hide, you know, like they would, they talk about, and I, I'll save this for the podcast, but she, you know, specifically to the duplex where, you know, they're talking about how can we, how can we keep Shelley from finding out that it's, that I gave it to you. Mm. And, you know, I can't imagine how many hours she must've been listening to those tapes to find that particular piece of it. But when, she finds it, her lawyer, Pierce O'Donnell, who is this just really fun character in the story. Um, he's like this total Perry Mason lawyer who's like really good in the spotlight. Like he delivers this in court. He plays the sound like he got like surround sound in the court to play this. And V has to listen. <laughs> it's like it's like this incredible gotcha moment. Like when everybody in the courthouse heard this, it was like, oh. <laughs> She's good. You're gonna lose now, right? Yeah. It was obvious they got him. They caught her red-handed, and Shelley takes so much pride in that victory because she feels like she's standing up for women. That this woman did this to her, and I keep going, dude. Like, yes, that's all true, but what about your man? Like, right. your man is the one who's doing this to you. And she gets that, but she can't accept it. Because if she accepts it, then you are then conceding the fundamental point, which is that you really should be mad at your husband and not just at the mistresses um, and your husband. And I think that it doesn't take much of a psychologist to say she's listening to all the tapes of Donald and V, which are kind of gross, okay, when you listen to them. I mean, there's this, there's all sorts of playing games and all sorts of... You know, just, oh, I love you. No, you don't. If you really love me, you would do this. I mean, there's all sorts of that um, back and forth. And it's like juvenile and weird and icky. And I mean, how can a wife subject herself to that? Like, I don't know how she did that. And she right. still kind of does. And like, look, what would a psychologist tell you? She's not trying to understand V. Stiviano. She's trying to understand her husband. Right. Okay? Or maybe just uh, avoid and, having to understand her husband. And if she points the finger at the mistress's throughout then she doesn't have yeah. to disrupt the life that she's become accustomed to because in your 80s to to get a divorce and to dissect yeah. the assets and all that might just feel just like it's yeah, not worth no. it 
Um, well, this yeah. whole thing is so fascinating, Ramon. I look forward to everybody else getting to listen to it. I'm excited I got the advanced copy and got to get a jump on it. Excellent work by you, as always, and uh, I look forward to hearing you talk to everybody about the various aspects of it. Thanks, Sarah. Happy birthday, too. Thank you. That's what she said. Hey, if you're enjoying That's What She Said, you might like my nightly radio show, Spain and Company. If you can't catch it live, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern every weeknight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, you can always find select segments posted to the Twitter feed, at Spain and Company. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me, and I fix it. And this week, it's high heels. Holy hell, do those things hurt your feet. They're torture. They're absolute torture. And I was forced to wear them because I wore a nice, cute, sensible wedge for my first effort hosting around the horn. And I got called granny shoes. And people made fun of them and said they looked frumpy. And so I put on these gigantic, not even that tall, probably like three and a half inches, which is really tall for me, heels that I could barely walk in. And I only wore them for about an hour and a half to tape the show. And it was torturous. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Now, first of all, I did tear my Achilles, so I really can't wear heels because my little midget calf has trouble walking in them. But even so, even if I trained myself every day in and out to get used to it, do you know that it actually changes the length of the muscle fibers in your calf? And then if you try to wear flat shoes after that, it hurts. That is what my short females are going through my ladies my ladies out there who are wearing heels every day just to try to look better and that's the sad part about it is it makes your legs look really good like much better than flats and so we all do it and i do it for stupid tv show and i'm gonna do it again next week when i'm back hosting around the horn i'm gonna wear a bunch of really tall shoes and you guys will be able to tell how uncomfortable i am and i'm gonna look like a weirdo they make your legs look really good man But I just want anyone to know, if you ever judge women for granny shoes or frumpy shoes or comfortable shoes or for wearing sneakers with a dress, then you should try it, men. Put them on. Walk around just for two minutes. You'll feel sorry for us. Heels. One day if I stop, it's probably going to be about this because I'm not going to have the right shoes to go with the right dress on TV, which already adds like 100 pounds. I'm going to have to go to some nice fancy event and I'm going to want to wear my Vans or my Jordans. I'm not going to be able to. I guess that's the price we pay for beauty. All right, I feel good about what we accomplished today, which is literally nothing. I've accomplished nothing because I'm going to keep wearing them when I need to look cute. There, I fixed it. Except I didn't fix it this time. Be sure to check out another great podcast in the Levitard and Friends podcast network, Marty Smith's America. On this week's episode, Marty discusses his trip to Gainesville, where he caught up with Gators quarterback Felipe Franks in advance of their season opener against Miami this Saturday. Download and subscribe to Marty Smith's America on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said.